It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Well, time to wrap this up. Gotta go. But first, let me just say thank you, God, for blessing me with a wonderful wife who has supported me every step of the way. And great parents who supported me as a kid and given me uh, the freedom to pursue my dreams. Thank you, God, for blessing me with a career that was a joy to pursue every day. And thank you, God, for giving me people who cared enough to listen so often. Just want to also say thank you to the management team here, Marv Nyron, Wade Linder, Troy Hansen. Those guys have been fabulous in this last week. Thank you for your support and kindness. And then I want to say thank you to all of you. Thank you for allowing me into your lives. It's been a real privilege. I love you so much. And just so you know, I have had the time of my life. It's been the time of my life. Now, Great memories in Chicago, man. Chicago. Chicago. WLSFMHD1, Chicago. Chicago. Accumulus Station, Chicago's 94.7 WLS. All right, Sandy Rios with you. <laughs> what a strange way to start my show, right? You're saying, <laughs> what is she doing? <laughs> I'm doing something really special today. We're going to have fun, but we're going to... We're not going to... We're going to have some meaningful fun as we're uh, at it. That is Greg Brown. 51 years in the Chicago radio market, uh, working for Cumulus Radio for the last 13 years on WLS. Many of you have heard of WLS Radio. If you are uh, older, you remember that it was that one FM station that could go all over the globe. And uh, no matter where you lived, you could listen to Larry Lujak and Little Tommy and all those guys. Uh, But uh, Greg Brown grew up listening to that too. But he grew up to be one of those guys legendary in the Chicago market, again, 51 years. And he just retired. That little clip you heard, uh, Bruce and I were listening live as he uh, said goodbye to his audience. And I know personally uh, that he absolutely loves his job. That wasn't just radio speak. That's exactly what he meant, what he said. And it was a very big deal. Three weeks ago, at Greg, just about three, three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, yes. Uh, May 21st was the last day. Yeah, so that was, I could hear the emotion in your voice. Well, just listening to that track, my voice sounds so tense there because it was the last day Yeah, I had been uh, working from home for the last 15 months because of the pandemic. And then the last day I was back in the studio. And so you forget what buttons are where <laughs> and you forget what you're trying to do. So here's this big show. It's a big <laughs> emotional day. You've got people popping in and out of the studio all day. And, uh, you know, saying things, nice things to you and all that. And it was, but it was just real intense. And then I also knew that that last break was going to be something important 
but you could just hear that kind of tense in my yeah. voice where I was. But it was also emotional. Yeah, because for it was sure. uh, it was it, it was dawning on me in that last hour that this is the last time that I'll be doing that. Yeah, and it was and meaningful. You know, yeah, it was very meaningful. And your your listeners, you did the midday show in LS for thirteen years. We haven't gotten to the other stations, but. Um, you become like family, you know, because live, uh, live disc, I don't know if they still use the word term disc jockey. That's how dumb sure, I am. Sure. Live disc jockeying is almost a thing of the past. And uh, there was a time when uh, I was trying to explain it to my my grandson a couple of days ago because he has no concept of disc jockeys, you right, know. Right. But I was trying to tell him, honey, they, they were local and they became friends and they were funny and they played music. And we felt like we knew them. And that's how you started in radio, right? Yes. In fact, uh, the... Uh, the way I started, if that's what you're asking, the beginning story. Yes, I am. Well, How did you start, Greg? Okay. Glad <laughs> I could help you get toward that. Uh, anyway, so when I was about 13, uh, I heard Dick Biondi on WLS. That was sort of the first disc jockey that really kind of stood out to me. His voice, his style. I remember, too. His energy and yeah. the crazy things that he would say, but that great music and there was something, because he was on at night, so there's something about listening to the radio at night. When you hear, it just, it, yeah. it's more your imagination. Yes. What's that guy look like, and what's that song about, and all that feeling. So that's when I first started thinking that this might be something interesting to do. And through the course of my, you know, schooling through high school and college, I mean, I did theater, uh, played in a band, played the tuba. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's a great way to meet girls if you ever, uh, no. The tuba. Uh, yeah. And then my, uh, my grandmother and grandfather used to play, she, she played the piano and he played drums and they used to play the little small country one room, uh, schoolhouse for dances and pass the hat and make money. Anyway, when he died, she gave me his uh, drum set. So I started playing drums as well and played in bands and, you know, dance bands, rock bands and all that kind of thing. And uh, did the theater and also with sports. So what I'm trying to say is that there were, there were a lot of different things that I like to do creatively. And radio sort of used all of that together. So uh, as I got a little older, I started thinking that if I really wanted to do this, I should try to go get a job and see if it's something I really like. But you're like. only in high school, right? Well, at this point, I was in college now. Oh, oh, so okay. I'm home for summer break. I thought I can go get a job at Osco maybe, <laughs> or I can try to get a job at a radio station. So there were a lot of little stations. I grew up in Crystal Lake, Illinois, and there were little stations in our area. And one of them was in Woodstock, and I heard it on a Sunday night, and they had some kid, sounded like a high school kid on the air, and he was just talking and goofing around, and he played the tuba. He played he, the tuba also. He gets the tuba out, and he's playing the tuba. And I thought, wow, well, if that kid can get a job there, maybe I can. Did you think you could also play your tuba? Well, that hadn't crossed my mind exactly, but I felt a kindred spirit with that guy. So anyway, the next day, I found out where the station was. It was in Woodstock, and it was sitting on a property that looked like it was part of a farm or something. It was a cabin sort of uh, thing. Um, and, and honestly, the cabin was the size of your studio here. I mean, it was basically a small room for a bathroom, a small room for an office, a small room for the studio, and then a small kind of area for the transmitter. So I pulled up and I just walked in and the guy sitting at the desk was the program director. And I introduced myself and I told him that I was trying to get a job and wondered if he had any openings. And he said, well, do you, do you have any experience? And I said, well, no, that, that's why I'm here. I'd 
like to, he said, well, oh no, you, you have to have experience to, to work here. And I, and I'm thinking to myself, I see a cow out the window. I heard a kid playing a tuba. What? what?" So, but I thought, okay, fine. And I said, well, thank you. And I'll see if I can do that. And maybe I'll see you again. I'll be back. And as I was standing up and about to walk out, the disc jockey on the air poked his head in the office and he said, Hey, Bob, by the way, today's my last day. I'm going in the army on Monday. And old Bob looks at me and he says, you want a job? And I said, you bet I do. He says, you start Monday. And Greg, this was like, was this 1971? 1970. Okay, 1970. June of 70. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we're going to come back to that story. Okay. okay. That's what you, uh, so I want to fast forward to your 51 years in Chicago radio. And I think I knew you first, uh, was it Q1, was it one of Q101? Yeah, I, it was Q101. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you used to do the top 40. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it was current, uh, it was called adult contemporary at the time, and it was a, uh, um, uh, high energy current songs that sort of thing. Yeah. So people most people listening have heard have heard disc jockeys. Uh, I I'm pretty sure but they probably don't have a very good idea of what it actually is that you Well for instance let's go here. Uh you through the years have met some incredible musicians and mm-hmm. performers and other famous people. Uh, but is that your, like you're spinning their tunes all the time and you're pumping their songs, but is it, uh, in a Chicago market, does that mean that you get to see and intersect with them, uh, in a way that people might think? Um, are you saying that the Chicago market, uh, makes them want to be with you more type of thing? Well, a larger, like somebody in, uh, in smaller towns would not have the access to these stars that you have had. I'm assuming. Um, well, it depends. Uh, I, I I worked a, a country format for a short time. Uh, did some fill-in work up in Milwaukee, and all of those country artists came to that station. In fact, that's where I met Taylor Swift for the first time. But she was a teenager in her second song in Milwaukee. In Milwaukee, well, Milwaukee is a pretty decent market. It's size wise. At the time, it was like number thirty-six. Yeah. But these artists came. To the station, they came to events. All those disc jockeys knew all those country guys by name, and the country guys knew the country stars knew the disc jockeys. They'd play golf together and all that, <laughs> so they had real relationships. Now that may be the country format is a little different. The artists are a little more down to earth. Uh, in the rock format, I'm not quite sure. I don't know how uh, the artists interplay. Maybe they'll do interviews and stuff by phone and all, but. But yes, we got to meet uh, a lot of the artists, and we did uh, different events with some of them on occasion. Um, uh, so that's one of your big duties. I guess I'm trying to paint a picture sure. what it's like to be in radio. Like you have events, you have to get out into the community, and you mm-hmm. host things, yes. and these artists come in. and yes. you ha- So you have all these experiences. What is the most exciting event that you ever hosted where, I don't know, for whatever reason, it was real interesting to you? Um, or did it get boring and you have nothing to say about it? No, what was interesting <laughs> to me, and this was back in 1976, uh, Elton John was coming to Chicago. And we were uh, we did a, a promotion where we were giving away tickets to the concert, and I was going to take the winners to the concert, and we were to meet Elton John backstage. So we were tied in with the record company. So uh, Elton John was in Chicago a couple days early. They had a, a, a party for him. Uh, a media party for him at the uh, Playboy Mansion. And Hugh Hefner was there, and all these local celebrities were at this party. And so I was invited because we were tied in with it. And um, what was interesting to me is at that point, Elton 
was standing next to a fireplace in this big room, and it was just packed with people, and they were all milling around talking to each other. They were just – and um, nobody was really talking to him. He was just kind of standing there, and he was looking off to one side, off to his left, and somebody would come up next to him on his right, and there was a photographer who was just standing in front of him the whole night who was taking pictures of everybody <laughs> so that you'd have a picture. And they, they got their picture taken with it, but they didn't talk to him. They just walked away because they, all they wanted was the picture. Oh, wow. But it, he looked like he didn't want to be there. He looked like he was slightly bored, slightly irritated, and again, not really interacting with the people too much. I mean, you know, he, he wasn't mean to anybody, but when he did talk to somebody, he was gracious and all that. But I just, it felt a little sad to me because you're at this important event, but... You but know, it's all like plastic. It's not empty. real. Nothing yeah. there. So yeah. anyway, the next night was the concert. And uh, so we took our winners and uh, we would get backstage before the show. Uh, I should say at that, at that party, I met Bernie Taupin, who wrote, writes uh, the lyrics for all of Elton's songs. So those two are like a real team. And he's written all of his songs forever for uh, the lyrics to the songs. So anyway, that next night, we're at this event. We get backstage, and there's there's probably fifty of us back there. And this winner was so excited because she was going to meet Elton John. This was her guy. She loved him. She brought a special gift that she had, you know. And the whole it was just this. This was her moment. This was huge to her, right? And but we're, there were fifty other people standing backstage. Okay, so off in the distance, Elton pulls in in an, uh, a limo inside. It was at the um, at the Chicago Stadium at the time. Do you hear that music? You know what that means, don't you? I'm right in the middle can of the I most know, important story of my I, life. Can you hold on? Can I can't. Can you, I, can you hold on to the Elton story? He's just pulling in, and be. your listener who won this meeting with yeah. him is waiting with yeah. her present. Okay. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we'll find. We'll make, yeah. We'll make it up there. Uh, maybe I won't talk about it anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah, we'll change the subject. Yeah. We'll do that all day. You started the story how you got into radio, you're, and I interrupted you. We're going to do that all day. You don't mind, for, do you? You're known for that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, uh, Sandy Rios with my good friend Greg Brown. And uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of the things that Greg has seen and done, but other things about his life that um, that are surprising. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. to be a live performance. <laughs> I wonder if that was the Ed Sullivan performance. I think it was, yeah. Uh, the, the, yes. the Beatles, they're, they're, Fab Four. they're Fab Four, their de- debut in the United States on the Ed Sullivan Show. We're going to used to do a Beatles like lunch, Beetle didn't break. you? The Great Beetle- Brown Beatle Break, yes, <laughs> where we did a little story about each song, the, the story behind the song, trivia, 
what made them write the song, and uh, then I'd play the song. And so that was something that was a feature I did for several years, yeah. And people, okay, before we get back to Elton, and we will mm-hmm. get back to Elton. <laughs> okay. What's a Beatles song? What, tell us one of the stories that really, st- I know you have a million because you were on the air every day talking about this stuff, but what's one that stands out to you that's one of the best that you used to tell? <sighs> That you used to tell three weeks ago. That <laughs> sounds like it's so far long ago. Back when I was Greg Brown. <laughs> yeah, back when you used to be Greg Brown. Yeah. Uh, boy, I, <laughs> it's one of those things where I, when I see the song, I remember the story of it a little do you, bit. Do you remember one that I want to hold your hand? Anything about that that we should know? That, uh, we should that know? song was something was one of their early songs. Uh, John and Paul wrote that at Paul's uh, family home, uh, the, his parents' home, because they were still young, and so they went to the parents' home. Uh, they wrote that in one of the rooms, and um, uh, the father didn't like the yeah, yeah, yeah part of the <laughs> song because he said that didn't seem proper. You should say yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and then Paul said, but we're trying to write this for the American market. This was a song that they were specifically writing to be a song for America. And so they wanted to go with something a little more casual. So his father didn't like that. But the last chord of the song is something that they worked to figure out uh, because they didn't like the way they were just ending the song. And when they came up with that kind of jazzy end to yeah. it, they said, that's it. And they came out and played that for the dad, and he loved it, and so and Paul's dad. And so that's what they went with. Oh, that's really cute. That's the best part did, of it I can remember. Did you like them, the Beatles? Um, okay, now that you can be the t- now you can tell the truth. See, that's the good thing about being finished. Now you can actually say what you really think, Rick. Well, did you like them? <laughs> I Yes, I did. And so... I love the Beatles. I love their creativity. There's just mm-hmm. something about every song of theirs. Again, doing the Beatle break, you learn that every every song was slightly different. They did something different, a different type of instrument, a different type of sound. And they used to drive the uh, engineers crazy because they always wanted to push the limit. And the engineers were under strict rules to make this sound record because they were English. They were very proper about how they recorded. And so... On the song, I Feel Fine, there's feedback that starts that song. And the engineers had to write that up a certain way because they would have gotten in trouble to allow feedback on a recording. But Paul accidentally caused the feedback to begin with, liked the sound, so they tried to recreate that several times to finally get it (laughs) because they wanted that in the song. But the engineers were going to get in trouble. So they had to work it out some special way that... That they could do that, Did, but and so my point is that they were very creative, and you, I felt that as a kid listening to them, I always feel creative after I'd listened to some of their songs. I didn't know why, but some of the personal stuff I wasn't always crazy about the drug use and all that. In fact, when I would do the Beatle break, I didn't really talk about that. I didn't want to glorify that. I didn't want to draw attention to that. I wanted to just tell the stories that were uplifting because their music is uplifting yeah. for the most part. So I tried to keep it that way. Yeah. It, it, there was such an innocence when you listened to that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was so innocent. The lyrics were great, and they were sweet. I want to hold your hand, yes. you know. She was just 17, you know yes. what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, there was something very... And at the same time, we had a lot of really raw stuff going on yes. musically. So they were really, even in spite of their long hair and all the controversy, when they started, they were kind of like a breath of fresh air. Yes, and it's, you know, when you talk about celebrities, I mean, they were the whole thing, and they still are in terms of... People loving them. Mm-hmm. We did a promotion with Ringo, and uh, there literally was a three-month conversation with his people 
on how he's going to enter the building, what side he pulls into, how long he's going to be there, how much security had to be on the outside, how much on the inside. Um, then they we took photos with Ringo, and it was literally you had – I would imagine about nine seconds where you actually stood with him. So you try to interact as best you could for nine seconds, get the picture, and then you're out next. And they hurried you along because he was only there for 10 minutes or whatever it was. You know, I I think we've talked about this because I remember when you did that thing with Ringo. It was very, very special. Mm -hmm. And I believe I shared with you that I had met Barbara Bach, his wife, who played in the James Bond, uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. Mm -hmm. Beautiful girl. Because she and Ringo had a... uh, a little boy with cerebral palsy, hmm. and my daughter Sasha was in the same program at UCLA. They oh. were they were in class, and I met Barbara in that uh, as a, one of the other parents. Nice. Is that interesting? That is very yeah, nice. Yeah, Mrs. Ringo. Yeah. But so, this, but this show is about me. Yeah. So, <laughs> thank you for reminding me. Okay. Oh, I may regret this. Kidding. We have to tell we have to tell the rest of that story about uh, Elton John, and then I have other things to ask you. Okay, so we have <laughs> this winner who's backstage with fifty people. Yes. This is her big moment to meet Elton John. She's so excited. She has this gift to give him, and then we see Elva, uh, Elton pulling into the uh, Chicago Stadium. It's backstage. He pulls in in his limo. I see him get out of the limo. His manager, who was just talking to us, says, oh, there's Elton now. Let me go tell him that he'll be over in a minute. I see him go over to Elton, and you see El- he's talking to Elton. He's pointing at us. Elton looks over, and he's, he's grumping down. He's <laughs> saying no, and he's, he's stomping his feet, and he's throwing his arms around like, I'm not talking to those people. I'm not doing anything, and he storms off. So the manager comes back and he says, well, listen, um, Elton's going to be here in a little bit. He needs a few minutes, but he'll be here in just a little bit. Don't worry. Okay, so we're all looking at each other. Anyway, a few Did the woman see all of this going on? So a few minutes later, Elton comes over and he literally said, he goes, thank you. Nice to meet you. Hi. Nice to meet you. He shakes everybody's hand. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And he turns and he leaves. Did, so he, did he shake her hand? Yes. Okay. But it was quick. I mean, he again, yeah. he's moving through people. Yes. He's not there to conversation. Yeah. He's not there to chat. He shakes hands, hello, and he leaves. And this poor girl starts crying because she wanted to talk oh. a moment with him. She wanted to give him this great prize and so on. So as I mentioned earlier, I had met Bernie Taupin the night before. Well, he was standing. The lyricist for yes, Elton Who John. wrote all the songs for Elton, or the lyrics for him. So he was standing off to the side. And because I had met him the night before, I said, Bernie, would you mind? She has a gift for Elton. Would you, would you be able to give it to her? And so they talked for a minute. And he took time with her. And was very kind to her because he saw what happened. And so um, she, she got to give the gift. And that kind of made it a little better. So anyway, so the night before, he seems like he's not interested in being in the party. That night, he looks like he does not want to be there. He does not want to talk to people. And as this is going on, as he's walking away, I can hear the crowd out front going, Elton, 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 Elton. (laughs) They're getting ready for the show. So we go around and we sit in our seats. And then all of a sudden, a few minutes later, here comes Elton John in a chicken outfit on stage because it's showtime now and he's... Doing the stuff, you know, Crocodile Rock, something else. And I I felt so sad for him. It felt so empty, like he's just going through the motions. And literally, three or four weeks later, I read that he's quitting touring. He's taking a break. He doesn't want to do this anymore. It's like he just stopped. And I could see that happening at that moment. You watched it. But 
But the whole pressure of a celebrity, what is expected of them, the pressure to perform in front of all these people and be nice to everybody because mm-hmm. I'm telling a story about how not nice he is. Yeah. And, you know, he's probably fine, but he's just, oh, he's got to be on. Yeah. Oh, he's got to yeah. do. So it was just a sad sort of story. Greg, one people have already had a hint of this, but... Um, you are you were in a strange position, and you said earlier when you started telling how you got in radio, you said talked about it was a god thing. The the DJ quit. Mm. The guy wasn't going to give you a job, and the DJ said, "Hey, Mister, you know, I'm quitting. I'm going to go to the army." And he right. turns to you and says, "Be here Monday morning." Right. And you said that was a god thing. Okay, mm-hmm. so you are a sold out believer in Jesus, and that's how we became such good friends. Yes. One of the things. Um, but how does that work exactly? I mean, people would say, well, come on, you're in this world where you're you're with the Rolling Stones and all these people who their lives are decadent, many of them, mm-hmm. and you're playing music and you're, you know, how in the world could that intersect with your faith? How could your faith have any, why would God call you to that? You could have been a pastor. You've got a great voice, a great delivery. Why that? Well, I didn't become a Christian until I'd been in business for a while, and um when I accepted the Lord, I asked him, you know, is this what you want me to be in? Or is there something else? And I felt like he just kept leading me back to it. And he kept providing for me within that. And, um, so I felt like that's where I needed to be. And, um, I didn't feel like he wanted me to necessarily say things on the air or to sort of, uh, you know, talk about the Lord necessarily on the air, although I wasn't afraid to or ashamed to, but I, so what I tried to do was just to be very positive on the air. I tried to be uplifting on the air. Sometimes the things you don't say mean more than the things you do say. Because you listen to some disc jockeys, and it's hard to listen to them. Because, you know, there was an old saying back in the 70s, talk dirty and play the hits. And it's like, I didn't do that. Even before I became a Christian, I was, I was what you'd call a good guy. I just, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't do drugs, I never did any of that kind of stuff. So... It really was who I've always sort of been. But then there was meat to it when I finally became a Christian because I understood who I was now. And that made a difference. Before I was a Christian and I would have been, well, at that Elton John thing, for example, at that party, I always felt a little insecure, like I'm not cool enough. I'm, you know, I don't fit in and this kind of stuff. After I accepted the Lord, I probably wouldn't have gone exactly to that party because I would have known what it was more. But anytime I was around artists... I felt very confident who I was because I was, a, a, you know, a Christ uh, follower. They didn't know. They looked at me, and I they think they started to feel a little intimidated by me because they're lost. They're looking to be something, and they know deep down whatever they're being isn't quite it. It's it's not fulfilling. And so I had some good conversations with a lot of different people, based uh, artists that uh, you know over time and because they picked up something different. So I started seeing maybe that's part of that ministry that God wants, to be different within the realm. And I talked to a lot of people on the air uh, that I work with who also would come off and ask something, you know, behind the scenes or want to talk about spiritual things or talk about family things, you know, because they felt that there was an understanding or something with me, I guess. Yeah, you know, uh, I just need, need to say, because people are always listening and learning, uh, I certainly know that God... God wants to use our gifts, yes. whatever those gifts are. Yes. And just because you are sold out to him doesn't mean you go to the mission field as such, as a missionary, or, or mm-hmm. go to pastoring or whatever. You, 
you go, you bloom where you're planted, and you, every, you can share the gospel anywhere. Every day that I went on the air, I, I, I would pray for God to bless that day, to bless that show, uh, for my words to uh, uh, give life, you know, not, not to be negative or any of that, but to try to give life to people so that when you listened, you just felt better. Um, and not, not Mr. Rah-Rah, but just to be clever and fun and still be entertaining, uh, still talk about things that are going on in the world, but maybe not dwell on the negative side of that or... Uh, I don't know. Let me just say that, uh, Greg, I, I read some of the statements of your peers and your bosses, and you left you left with tremendous respect by your peers, and also great ratings, could we just say? You had great ratings. <laughs> yeah, so, God bless that, yeah, so for God sure. did bless it. God bless that. I want to say a word about um, how we met briefly, because I was a singer and not doing radio at the time. that I, I did some voiceover work, but not mm-hmm. in radio. And you... Uh, the, I was going to do premiere my second album at the Odeum in Chicago, mm-hmm. and a person who was involved with us, I can't even remember who it was now, said, how about Greg Brown? He's a DJ. And I said, oh, yeah, Greg. He said, well, he's a Christian, she said, and we should get him to host. And so you came and hosted it in your tuxedo, and that's the first time we met. Mm-hmm. And we had such a great time, and the interesting thing was that uh, you were not married, and I was very married, mm-hmm. and then we did not really intersect until... Uh, much many many years later, when I got divorced, mm-hmm. uh, and I uh, went to Willow Creek Church, mm-hmm. which is where you were on the drama team, yes. and I was on the music team. Yes. Anyway, we so we had a great uh, reconnection and lots of fun, didn't we? Well, that was a great concert that, too. That album was something special, and uh, watching the people watch you was fascinating because you uh, you have such a beautiful voice and such a great gift singing, and I wish you did more of it too because uh, I think that's really special that you something special yeah, you have. You're sweet, thank you. But I anyway, I just remember the fun. First of all, we're doing this serious conversation, but you were hilarious, and we have just had so much fun through the years laughing. I remember, mm-hmm. yeah, I, some of the stuff I can't repeat. It's not that it's it's not that it's not clean. It's that it's probably not appropriate for a broad audience because it's personal. But we've had a lot of jokes through the years. But the other thing is. You actually, actually, as I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of liked this beautiful girl who was at my house for a party I had, yes. a New Year's Eve party. Yes. And the two of you spent a lot of time together. I was so yeah. glad you invited her. <laughs> <laughs> she, that's Lorraine, yes. that's uh, Actually, I had met Lorraine before. Um, well, I hear the music, so I guess There's we're in the, the middle music. of another story. Yeah, so wait, we won't be able to finish it. So we, he met no, Lorraine, we'll that's finish, the end of it. No, no. we'll finish this story. <laughs> no, they heard it. I'm he coming back Lorraine, for another segment, whether you like it or not. <laughs> you know, and maybe if we're lucky, Lorraine might join us. What do you think? Well, it depends on the appearance fee. <laughs> oh, well, how about a Diet Coke <laughs> okay. with some cherry in it or something? All right, I'll take that. Okay, my guest is uh, Greg Brown, and we're just having fun. He just retired three weeks ago after 50 one years in the Chicago music market on WLS for 13 years and a lot of other stations, I think some seven stations, uh, and he's become a, a, a legend. He will be in the Radio Hall of Fame, I'm sure, uh, in short, sooner rather than later, but uh, you'll get to have this moment of hearing about his life and you'll understand why that's important and what an achievement it is. So stay tuned and when we come back, we're going to ask Lorraine to join us for that next part of this story. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. 
Chicago 101, WKQX, and Ambrosian, how much I feel. Good morning to you. It's 10.08, and I'm Greg Brown. And if it's, if you're at home celebrating President's Day and you're just getting out of bed, you're waking up to a real fine day. We'll check WKQX AccuWeather for you coming up in a little bit. Also, through the day today, I've got some tickets to get you into a new movie called Saturn 3. It's the one starring Kirk Douglas and Farrah Fawcett. As WKQX is your ticket to the movies. And I'll tell you more about that a little later on. We've got a lot of good things coming your way, so stay close. Okay, so that was Greg Brown on WKQX in 1979. Pretty good. You should have done that for a living, Greg. You should have, you should have been serious about that pursuit. Well, I, I tried. <laughs> tried my best every day. I know, that was fun. Okay, so you were telling us how you met Lorraine or that beautiful girl who was at my house that New Year's Eve. Yes. Uh, so when, when did you meet her? So it was in the uh, mid-80s, uh, I think uh, late 80s maybe, uh, there was a grand opening of a, a club called the Charlie Club, which was a, a health club by day, but a nightclub at night. So it was a media event the night before to, before the grand opening. And so we were there, uh, and I was there. And uh, one of the guys that I worked with walked in, and he had Lorraine with him. And uh, so I was you know, talking to him, and he introduced me to her. And there was just something about her. That <clears throat> stood out. She just seemed so different, and just there was something peaceful about her. And and I remember just thinking, "Wow, I wish I could meet somebody like that." And they left, and I turned in the corner, and I and I I prayed. I said, "Lord, I would love to meet somebody like that. Somebody I would I would love to marry somebody like that because <laughs> she stood out. There was just something so different about her in that environment, you know." Um. So uh, it was several years later that I ran into her at Willow Creek Church. Um, she was with another lady, a friend of hers, uh, that uh, was going out with a buddy of mine. So that person, her, her friend, came over to say hello to my buddy. And so there was Lorraine. And I said, hi, Lorraine. And she goes, uh, hi, Greg. And so we talked for a little bit, and I thought, wow, she's coming to church here. Maybe I'll see her. Well, we would run into each other at various parties, but I would be dating somebody or she would be dating somebody, so we just never connected up. And then finally it was at your house. at that. It was a New Year's Day party <laughs> that uh, somewhere between the waffles and the bacon, we started to, to talk and just really get to know each other. Oh, it was fun. And, of course, uh, I had the privilege of singing at your wedding with some other of our friends yes. uh, at the Chicago Historical Society. So that's the part of our story I didn't even think about. Lorraine, let me introduce you by saying uh, Lorraine is an absolutely gorgeous girl. She was uh, one of the honey bears for the cheerleaders for the bears, and she was one of the founders of the Love Bulls for the uh, Chicago uh, Bulls. Yeah, <laughs> those people. Uh, and so, and an actress, and all kinds of just all kinds of things. And uh, you came to Christ. How old? How old were you, Lori? And I know the story, but I've forgotten when exactly. Well, it's a little bit of a different story than most people. Every a lot, most people know the exact date and time that yeah. it happened. But I was in high school and. Uh, there was a young lady that came to our high school to be our choreographer of the pom-pom um, squad that I was actually captain of. So she came, and she, she was with Youth for Christ, Campus Life. So she was a great influence on all of us girls. So we started going to her Bible studies that she had um, arranged for us. But I, oh, can I just jump in and say that this is my impression from knowing you, mm -hmm. that, um, I th okay, I have a theory. Mm -hmm. I think great talent, great beauty, uh, musician, all of it is a barrier sometimes. Mm -hmm. Creates complications in your life 
And you had complications. Oh yeah. You were very successful, and uh, it, it was a tough road. And you, you had a, you had a sort of a recommitment of your life. I did. And uh, God really got a hold of you. And I guess uh, would you have been in that place when He met you? I was. Yeah, I was in. You know, I was. I was seeking. It's funny because I would <laughs> often say, "I just want peace in my life. I don't know why it's not there." So I knew that I didn't have that relationship. You know, you can you can be saved, and then you can just go off on your own and not have a personal relationship with the Lord. So until you do that... It's kind of the Jesus on the throne thing, yes, isn't it? Exactly. Yes, exactly. You know, no, you know there are a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, are you really? Mm-hmm. I mean, have you committed your life to him? That's mm-hmm. a different story. So no, I hadn't committed my life to him yet. All right, so you saw Greg, and as, as I recall, you actually, you knew he was a Christian, and you really were interested because... He's an uncommon kind of dude, you know. That's no, I really, I really <laughs> didn't know he was a Christian. Oh, at you that didn't point. know? Oh, okay. No. Okay. In fact, my my date had introduced us, and I thought, what a great guy, nice guy, and that's pretty much it, you know. So then we went out to dinner afterwards, and we just had casual conversation. And I said to him, I had mentioned, and he, Greg, seemed like a really nice guy. He said, Oh yeah, he's a great guy, but I think he's one of those holy rollers, you know. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? I found myself defending his faith, even though my faith was still on the line, on the fence. So, you know, God was working in my life. He was bringing me to that point where I was going to be committed to him soon. And then eventually, uh, about five years later, when we ran into each other at Willow Creek, that's the point I started to turning turning myself over to the Lord. Yeah. But it was still not an absolute you know, on fire commitment at that point. It took some time and some study of the word and being around people who knew how to disciple me, so to speak, to bring me over to yeah, to know, solid faith. And I have solid. to say, Lorraine has such a thirst for the word. She's <laughs> as deep as a well. And I do think God, I would say this with my relationship with my husband, that there was prep work that had to be done before we were ready mm-hmm. to be married. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I just feel like, you know, God was doing that in your life too. Yeah. So, uh, so we're, we're going to have to, this is not going to be exactly as much time as we'd like to spend on what, what's happened. So you guys got married and Greg, you'd never been married. You had neither Lorraine. Right. So you guys were not like in your twenties, you were older than that when you got married. So that had to be a big adjustment. Yeah. Big adjustment, Greg. You can't say, right? Uh, Well, all I can say is that uh, after we got married, we had a garage sale one time and I noticed it was all my stuff. So, yeah. That's a big well, adjustment. I can tell you the first the, the first big fight we had. I said, "Now wait a minute. You told me you prayed for me, so don't be yelling at me." And and I said, said, "No, I prayed for somebody like you." <laughs> so get that clear. So he reminds me of that still. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, how long? Have you, I should know. I should know. Twenty eight years. Twenty eight years. <laughs> yes. Since we say uh, yes. th- that was so fun. We I remember singing. Uh, gosh, what did we? Uh, Mm-hmm. Love is a beautiful thing. We sang that as you walked down the aisle at the end of the wedding. And I remember we had all these Christ- people, Christians from Moody Church who weren't familiar with that kind of music. I remember the startled look on their face when we started singing that, but it was perfect for you guys. Yes, perfect. It was. Yeah. So Dr. Lutzer performed the ceremony. All right. So you guys were married a long time. And then five years ago, five, six years ago, mm-hmm. Lorraine, you received a diagnosis that was life-changing. Can mm-hmm. you tell us yes. what that was? It was. It it. <laughs> I uh, had some minor, minor symptoms. I called my doctor, my gynecologist, and he said, well, come on in. We're going to do a checkup anyway. We'll do an ultrasound. They found a tiny polyp. He said, oh, most of those are benign. Let's do a um, DNC. Let's get it checked out. 
I got a call a couple of days later, and it dropped me to my knees. He said, it's, it's the most aggressive type of cancer. It's very small, very early, but you need to call this um, oncologist surgeon immediately, and you have to have a hysterectomy. It was like, what? Wow. So we did that. Everything went great. They said they got it all, and I did four real quick treatments of radiation, really nothing, a breeze. And they said, we're only doing that as another precaution because you're really, there's less than 1% chance that this could, be, could come back. So this will help, and, and chances are it will not come back. So about, what was it, six months later, I uh, started to get some bad cramping. And I went to the oncologist, and they did a CT scan, and they said, it's back, and it's in, I think it was three different places, um, transverse colon, a couple of different places. And they said, it's not surgically removable, so you're going to have to have chemo immediately. And this is very aggressive, so you know we really need to get on this. So then that led to me going to a second and a third opinion just to try to find out what's going on. One of, the, one of the doctors gave me such dire results. I don't even repeat the words to this day. I won't speak any negative words over myself. I'm going to speak life over myself. And that's the choice I made then. So when I was at that third appointment and I got that, the, the treatment that I had was him, from him was strange. And I just looked at his associate. Her, she, her jaw dropped to her chin when he said what he did. He left the room and left me sitting there in tears, and I asked her, please go get my records. I'm leaving here. I'm not coming back. And that was it. Went back to the original place where I started my first appointment, or my first doctor, which was four blocks from where we were living at the time. So God had orchestrated that, too. He'd put us in a situation where I could actually walk to all of my treatments. And so, in the process of that, I know that you minister to so many women uh, other people, too, who are going through that. You use that as a ministry, and you ended up writing a book. Uh, you've got to believe you're going to be okay. Yes. And uh, you wrote the book of your experience, which, by the way, people could get, right? Yes, it's available on Amazon. Okay, you've got to believe you're going to be okay. So, uh, Lorraine, in short, I know mm -hmm. this is a very important story. It deserves mm -hmm. more treatment. But what did that experience do to you? Well, I'll tell you what, when you go through an experience like that, it, unless you it happens to you, you have no idea what it's going to feel like. And uh, it opened up your it opens up your eyes to um, other people who are struggling, and you want to help them, and you want to be compassionate with them. So I want to share my story with them because it's a positive story. It's a faith-filled story. And the subtitle of my book is From Fear to Faith because the minute um, my main, my internal medicine doctor said to me, he was very encouraging. He said, Lorraine, I just want you to know, you've got to believe you're going to be okay. So that's where I got the title for the book. Oh, really? Oh. Because when he said that, it was like my faith clicked into overdrive. And I said, yes, it was a knee jerk. I said, I do believe, I do believe I'm going to be okay. And from that point on, I immersed myself into the word. I looked up every scripture I could on faith, on healing, on just, you know, the will of the Lord. And it, it strengthened me so much. And I made the commitment not to think negatively, not to watch the news, not to listen to anybody who spoke anything over me other than life and blessing. And um, now I encourage other people to do that as well. It's been five years. It's been five You've years. You've been cancer-free. Yes. It's, that's what I should say. Yes. Yeah. So, Greg, uh, how did this—this <laughs> this is a sort of dumb question. These are like the— 
ABC reporter, how did you feel when you fell off that cliff? You know, I mean, how did that affect you, uh, Lorraine's diagnosis and experience? The hard part is that there's nothing you can do but try to be understanding and loving and helpful. I mean, you can't change it. You can't talk her out of it. You know, you've got to just go through it and to try to be supportive of her and to see the faith, to see that faith turn on was amazing to me. And it deepened who she was and it did it immediately. Um, and she spoke life over herself all the time. In fact, we, we would be, so we're living in an apartment at the time. And so every now and then when she'd start to get some sort of uh, negative thought or some sort of thing that was just anti what she was feeling, she would say, Satan, you are not allowed in this house. You are a liar. Get out. You do not deserve to be here. And I would say, honey, the neighbors think you're saying that to me. <laughs> So then she would say, Satan, you're not allowed to be in here. You're a liar. Get out. And I'm not talking to my husband. So, And I'm not talking about my husband. So anyway, but it was, it was really something to see her go through things. And it softened her in many ways, and it strengthened her in many ways, and she is an unstoppable force. And that book that she wrote was really, it's a series of, she did updates every week uh, after everything, because people always want to know how you're doing. So she'd write an update, and it would be funny or it'd be interesting, but it'd also be filled with information and tips and things if people are going through cancer, some tips for you. Or for people who have, who know somebody who has cancer, here's a tip for you to how to handle them. Um, and it was beautiful. And she got so many people say, you ought to write a book. So she put that together in the book, which is a ministry in itself by helping people get through this tough time. And interestingly enough, you were able to talk to Lorraine on the air on your show, right? On W, right? No. What do you mean? Didn't she talk about her book? Oh, yes. As a yes. guest, we had her on the AM station, oh, oh, yes, on yeah, WLSA. Oh, yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I know I didn't make that up. I didn't make that up, did I? Anyway, but another kind of ministry. Yes, A whole absolutely. audience that would not necessarily be listening absolutely. to what you had to say yes. was a great gift from that. Well, there's so much more to say, but now you guys are in a new phase. Yes. Looking forward to, who knows what's going to happen with you guys. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard what God has prepared for those that love him. Amen. And you Amen. both love him. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, Greg thank you, Brown Sandy. and Lorraine Brown, my good friends Appreciate who fell in love at my Dang. house and got married and I sang at their wedding. Isn't it's that all fun? Your fault. That's all my fault. I take credit. I take the fault and the credit. We thank take the name of Sandy in vain. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> my pleasure. And I hope all of you enjoyed this. Uh, thank you, guys. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.